His winnings never went into his purse, but were reserved as a fund for his charities. Mr. Fogg played not to win, but for the sake of playing. The game was, in his eyes, a contest, a struggle with a difficulty, yet a motionless, unwearying struggle, congenial to his tastes. Phileas Fogg was not known to have either wife or children, which happens to the most honest people, nor relatives or near friends, which is certainly more unusual. He lived alone in his house in Savile Row, whither none penetrated. A single servant sufficed to serve him. He had lunch and dinner at the club, at hours mathematically fixed, in the same room, at the same table, never taking his meals with other members, much less bringing a guest with him, and went home at exactly midnight, only to retire at once to bed. He never used the cosy rooms which the reform provides for its members, he spent ten hours out of the twenty-four in Savile Row, either sleeping or preparing himself to go out. When he chose to take a walk, it was with a regular step in the entrance hall with its mosaic flooring, or in the circular gallery with its dome supported by twenty red porphyry ionic columns and illumined by blue-painted windows. When he breakfasted or dined, all the resources of the club, its kitchens and pantries, its buttery and dairy, provided his table with their most succulent foods. The serious waiters in dress coats and shoes with swan-skin soles serving to him in special porcelain and on the finest linen. Club decanters of a lost mould contained his sherry, his port, and his cinnamon-spiced claret. While his beverages were refreshingly cooled with ice brought at great cost from the American lakes. If to live in this style is to be eccentric, it must be confessed that there is something good in eccentricity. The mansion in Savile Row, though not sumptuous, was exceedingly comfortable. The habits of its occupant were such as to demand but little from the sole servant. But Phileas Fogg required him to be almost superhumanly prompt and regular. On this very 2nd of October he had dismissed James Forster because that luckless youth had brought him shaving water at 84 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 86, and he was awaiting his successor, who was due at the house between eleven and half-past. Phileas Fogg was seated squarely in his armchair, his feet close together like those of a grenadier on parade, his hands resting on his knees, his body straight, his head erect. He was steadily watching an elaborate clock which indicated the hours, the minutes, the seconds, the days, the months, and the years. At exactly half-past eleven, Mr. Fogg would, according to his daily habit, leave Savile Row and go to the reform. A rap at this moment sounded on the door of the drawing-room where Phileas Fogg was seated, and James Forster, the dismissed servant, appeared. "'The new servant,' said he. A young man of thirty advanced and bowed. "'You are a Frenchman, I believe,' asked Phileas Fogg. "'And your name is John?' "'Jean, if monsieur pleases,' replied the newcomer. "'Jean Passepartout.' a nickname which has stick with me because I have a natural aptness for going out of one business and into another. I believe I'm honest, monsieur, but to be outspoken, I've had several trades. I've been an itinerant singer, a circus rider, when I used to vault like Léotard and dance on a rope like Blondin. Then I got to be a professor of gymnastics so as to make better use of my talents. And then I was a sergeant fireman in Paris, and I even have in my résumé some remarkable fires but I left France five years ago and, wishing to taste the sweets of domestic life, took service as a valet here in England. Finding myself out of place and hearing that Monsieur Phileas Fogg was the most exact and settled gentleman in the United Kingdom, 
I have come to Monsieur in the hope of living with him a tranquil life and forgetting even the name of Passepartout. Passepartout suits me, answered Mr. Fogg. You come well recommended to me. You know my conditions? Yes, Monsieur. Good. What time is it? Twenty-two minutes after eleven, returned Passepartout, drawing an enormous silver watch from the depths of his pocket. You are slow, said Mr. Fogg. Pardon me, monsieur, but that's impossible. You are four minutes slow. No matter. It's enough to mention the error. Now, from this moment, twenty-nine minutes after eleven a.m., this Wednesday, October 2nd, you are in my service. Phileas Fogg got up, took his hat in his left hand, put it on his head with an automatic motion, and went off without a word. Passepartout heard the street door shut once. It was his new master going out. He heard it shut again. It was his predecessor, James Forster, departing in his turn. Passepartout remained.